Hi, Heyman. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Francine. Good morning. Welcome to International Women's Day, which is very near and dear to my heart because when I got married, I tried to open my own checking account and couldn't do it. I couldn't do it without my husband's signature. And that was very interesting to me. And it started a long, um, lifelong diatribe <laughs> into the way even in supposedly developed countries like the United States, women are not at parity with men. I am no expert on this except from long life experience, but Barbara Annis is. And Barbara will be the person leading this discussion. And I'm hoping I don't join in too often because I am not an expert. So this is Barbara Annis, who has been with the Karma Club, like Heyman has, since the beginning. And also on the stage, um, Andreas the Corso and Cheryl and Jeanette. And I will let everybody take it away while I see if we've actually gotten anywhere since um, since I couldn't open my checking account. Thank you. Yes, we've got we made progress. That's for sure. And I share that sentiment because I was getting my driver's license in Vancouver, British Columbia after immigrating from Europe. And my husband had to sign, approve my driver's license. So. But we made progress in those areas. Uh, let me just set the tone for this, because it's not just about gender parity. It's really about appreciating, understanding and honoring women and women's natural talent. So we'll start first with really what is the lay of the land today and uh, and and just g give some stats just to get the conversation going. And then we're going to go into really talking about what's the difference between gender equality versus gender intelligence. Um, and they're very, uh, very different, complementary, but also different. And then we're going to talk about, you know, what are the insights and tools that we can do to really move the needle. But let's let's have a kind of a little bit of a sobering reality check. So we do know that the World Economic Forum and others have uh, been measuring 145 countries for decades now and um, and find that nobody, no country, of the 145, and I'm from Denmark, and that's included there, has achieved gender parity again yet. And uh, they're also stating that it will take about 132 years to achieve that unless we do something very different than we've been doing before. So th that's kind of the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So we really want to talk about what can we do that's different? What actions can we take that's different than um, than constantly talking about the barriers and the issues, right? What we also know is that World Economic Forum also talked about it, women's economic participation and opportunity could add $12 trillion to the global GDP by 2025 if we encourage more. However, the pandemic has impacted women and working moms and women of color in greater numbers, not only in the U.S., but everywhere. So we need to really understand how we can remove some of those and how women also, and we see that with the Prime Minister of New Zealand and the Prime Minister of Scotland, you know, resigning and many like Sheryl Sandberg and many others who have resigned because of either burnout or just too, just too much. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges that women have that we could do differently uh, so we don't suffer from that enormous amount of burnout. Part of it has to do with neuroscience of differences, and part of it has that women tend to take on a lot more and not delegate. But we'll get we'll get into that. But I just want to pass it over to others if there's anything you want to add before we get started. So Andrea, Cheryl, Bonita, Dr. Francine, Heyman. Yeah, I'd like to add um, that in case you're, you have any questions about whether we consider trans women women, we do, and we are putting them under the same rubric because they basically have the same and bigger problems 
I don't know if, if uh, Barbara intends to talk about domestic violence, but uh, if she does. Yes, definitely. The domestic violence has actually increased since the pandemic all over the world, not only sexual violence, but domestic in general. And uh, certain countries have suffered. And certainly I know that U.S. and Canada has been suffering from that. And part has been being cooped up, you know, in very small quarters and increase of drug and alcohol abuse and so on has harmed women and girls much greater. And I'm very exposed to that because my husband is a criminal judge. So he, uh, I, I hear about this a lot. So yeah, we'll definitely touch on that. But, but I really want to make sure that we, um, we look at the inspiration that women bring uh, as a, you know, as we conclude this room uh, so we can go that, on that journey together. And, and really appreciate the differences that men and women bring into this world of ours. So, Bonita, I, know, I see you on mic. Yes, I wanted to add a couple of things. First of all, we will bring language that can be applied in general to people. I'll be introducing relational and individualistic instead of feminine and masculine so that they can be applied to e- to anyone along along the spectrum or the full um, uh, context of, of gender. Um, so there, no one has, no one's left out. And the other thing is in my mind, as we increase the value of women or relational people, um, that will reduce the violence. We found that in, in, uh, micro enterprise projects that when women became valued in the families, that, that domestic violence was reduced. Um, that was in rural areas. But that's also my intention, I'm sure, and Barbara shares it, that, that we actually increase the value of women and reduce, at the same time, it will reduce the violence. That's what I wanted to say, Barbara. Thank you, Bonita. I appreciate that. And, and it's actually, there are about 48 different studies that show that correlation that when the mindset is shifted, that we appreciate differences and we appreciate what women and girls bring to this world as, a, as well as men and boys, it really creates that shift that you are indicating. Uh, I also want to add, you know, a little bit, having written five books, co-authored and also written myself, um, on the topic is that, you know, we have... Uh, right now, 62 study, global studies that show the correlation between having more women in the workforce and more women in senior management and on the board, it actually impacts the following three critical areas. There, there are a t- total of six, but I'll call it the three. Impacting the bottom line. So we see that companies can in- increase by between 22 to 38% of their bottom line. Um, it improves health uh, mental health and well-being in the workforce and and the social benefits around creating inclusive culture and social inclusion. So when we see women, because they are more what uh, relational, they tend to focus on people and people's well-being when they are in senior management. And that, of course, that's a little bit of an Achilles heel because we also worry a lot about people and people's well-being and we ruminate about it a lot. Um, but there are some tremendous benefit when you have both men and women working together and appreciating the complementary difference thinking that we bring to the uh, workplace and to leadership in the world. Shell, I know you are a big proponent on difference thinking. Is there anything you want to add to that or Andrea? Yeah, I I absolutely am. And I think that um, really gender intelligence gets to the heart of this. And, And really, it starts with understanding and awareness. I think that's where we we have the lack. I think that when um, I know Barbara in your work, when people suddenly have this awareness and the light bulb goes on and they get it, <laughs> then they, they have a place to start and they do want to do something. The two, the two topics are thoughts that I also wanted to bring to the conversation, Barbara. One was um, around this idea that we're seeing that women now not only is gender parity an issue, but women are getting to a point where when they're turning down promotions, you know, it used to be, let's break the glass ceiling. And now they're looking up and saying, 
I'm not sure I want to go there because I can't, I'm not sure I want that much burnout, that much stress in my life, which leads me to the second piece, which is the burnout piece. Um, and there's a lot to talk about with burnout because there are a lot of external triggers, but I would like to also mention that a lot of it is internal. A lot of it is self-imposed and some of that just has to do with neuroscience and the way, like you always talk about, Barbara, the way women's brains are actually wired differently and rumination occurs. But when we have that, that's called micro stress. So when we're taking that and we're ruminating and we're, um, you know, overthinking and uh, catastrophizing or personalizing, it creates this micro stress and it really adds to the burnout. So I think those are two really important um, kind of awareness pieces to this conversation. So I'll just pass it back to you. Wow, Cheryl, it's interesting to, <laughs> to have a name for uh, what I've experienced as an entrepreneur all my life. And Benita, would you go over those terms again? One was relational and the other that, that you thought should replace men and women. It went by pretty quickly. Benita, are you there? Okay, there I am. Um, individualistic is a cultural term that has been used particularly for the culture of the United States. Um, and it, it's characterized by um, the focus on the individual and uh, looking through the lens of who's up and who's down is the primary lens of seeing the world. And uh, in the other cross-cultural differentiation, it's how, how um, information is used, information is used as power, as it's hoarded uh, often, um, and also in terms of time, doing one thing at a time and being highly focused, which is consistent with the brain science, of course, that, that gender intelligence brings. Um, the relational has to do with being uh, looking at the world through the lens of connection and relationship, not just of people, but also of ideas. So there's a more high context way of seeing things, which is consistent with the brain science. And um, there's also the, uh, the use of information, sharing information creates new information. That's really important because it's not, you don't see relational act just as an individual. The the power of the um, collective intelligence, I'll use that term, that what comes out of communicating together is very important, um, creating new information. And then uh, in terms of time, there's also a focus more on doing multiple things at once uh, rather than single focus. And again, that's consistent. So individualistic and relational are what I use replacing talking about masculinity and femininity. Um, I was on a call with the uh, United Nations pre-conference group with one of, one of the men who was a, a specialist who talked about the importance of feminine energy. Well, we need to be able to put labels on it like relational competencies would have been much more powerful and my one of my favorite ones is being a fire preventer rather than a firefighter but we'll get into more of this later i think that is enough of an introduction does that does that substantiate it for you oh yeah that's perfect thank you. okay great and we can add some science to it too and also take it more in our personal lives so if you think about you know co-parents mother father type thing you'll see that and hopefully some of you can relate to that, that mothers pick up things that fathers sometimes don't, you know? So for example, the prefrontal cortex is more connected in women and develops earlier in women than it does in men. And that's the consequential thinking of the brain. And that it, it, it controls impulsive behavior and manages the amygdala. But for women, this is really important because we also have a anterior cortex, which is our worry center of the brain, which is larger in women, and more active. So we tend to worry more and weigh options. And that's what Cheryl was talking about is the source of female rumination. And that we really, and I 
I work on it every single day, people, every single day, because I, I will, I, I over worry. I over worry about the world, the state of everything. And I, I always say to myself, okay, am I serving anything by me doing this? And if the answer is no, then I let it go. I really learned to do that, you know, and, 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 and perhaps delegate it to somebody who can do something about that with it in their sphere of control. Right. So, um, again, we also pick up facial expressions. And so I will say something to Paul, who's my husband. I'll say, you know what? Zachary is not happy today. And he goes, what? I don't see that. He, he said it was fine. Yeah, but it was, it, it was the way he said he was fine. That didn't, I don't know. I'm going to explore some more. And I go and explore some more and obviously figure out that there's something else going on. So the, these are, these are some of these beautiful, beautiful gender differences that if we can kind of develop that congruence and really be able to stand in each other's shoes and work like that in a very collaborative way, like Bonita is saying, we, you know, we, we see this. We have 72 companies so far who've invented gender intelligence and it's really made an impact. So we just need a lot more a lot more in the world. So, uh, you know, Barbara, go ahead. What's, what's hilarious is one of my children, my children are adults and, and my foster children. One of them will call me and, and they'll, they'll say, hi mom. And I'll go, what's the matter? And I exactly. can hear it. I can hear it in their voices and they don't even believe that I can do that, but I can. And that's, that's in the workplace when women say something like this, you know what, I don't have a good feeling about this, a, a decision or how it's impacting other people. Um, that tends to get dismissed because that kind of language doesn't exist, right, in a very transactional world, right? If you remember Sally Krawcheck, I'm sure you know her, you know, during 2008, 2009 with the crash, and she was the CEO C, of the um, of Citigroup, Smith Barney Citigroup, and she would say things like that. And she was the only woman on the team. And they go, feelings? We don't have time for thoughts and feelings at work. We need to execute. You know, we need to transact, right? And they literally told her that she wasn't a team player. And head of HR called me and said, can you coach her, please? And I went, no, we need to, we need to do a workshop for everybody, which we ended up doing. But it was, you know, right in the middle of all of that didn't she, didn't she start a very successful women's investment group? She did. Yeah. She started with 62 broads and then she, she then uh, transformed it into a women's investment group. Yep. Absolutely. She's, she's rocking it. Yeah. Andrea, I noticed you unmuted too. So anything for you? Uh, well, so many things. First of all, happy uh, International Women's Day and thank you for inviting me to this space to join and for the karma club, Dr. Francine. Um, so many different thoughts. One, I opened up a room because of that uh, world worrying that you uh, spoke about last night <laughs> to talk about uh, the, how we were going to bring back more equity into our um, democracy. So uh, the, and I was going to say to Bonita, uh, so we're capable of worrying about more people at the same time as women. Uh, that's good to know. But um, so I'm, I'm happy that we have made progress uh, over time, for sure. Uh, and there's many wins uh, to shout out, I believe, just looking at the recent um, US midterm elections, I think that there were more women uh, and more women of color elected than ever before. Uh, there uh, were LGBTQ representatives elected. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, and there are many uh, excellent new global and, and local initiatives to support women. Uh, we've had some uh, like the Global Fund for Women and we've had some wins around um you know, uh, Amal Cooney, Michelle Obama, and Melinda French Gates have teamed up, uh, as well as many others around the world, to uh, work on a massive campaign to put a dent in ending child marriage globally. It's, this is exciting. Um, but we know that there is more work to do. We are uh, seeing, uh, you know, uh, a reversal of access to reproductive rights here in the United States. Uh, COVID, um, you know, push many more people into poverty around the world. Uh, and we know that we are um, still struggling uh, to get to gender 
you know, parity in the United States and often to protect um, uh, our women uh, and trans women and particularly women of color uh, and black women. So there's a lot more uh, work to be done. And uh, it to well, and some ensure... of this work, some Sorry. of this work, Andrea, Sorry. we're doing twice. You know, I'm sorry. We did it in the seventies and now I'm, cause I get angry at this. You know, we did all this on reproductive rights in the seventies and now we're doing, we have to do it again. Yeah. I think the issue is that we have to, um, keep doing it. So, I mean, until we get more women, uh, elected, uh, you know, that this is, a, I think the right, the fight for equality and civil rights protection is is an ongoing one. The pendulum uh, keeps swinging back and forth. This is what we're witnessing globally, uh, you know. And if we, as Barbara was mentioning earlier, uh, you know, economic empowerment uh, for women, you know, it's a multifaceted approach, um, starting from the stories and the way women are represented in the media to whether the laws are there and the policies to protect us, whether they're enforced uh, and whether we have economic power and then whether those of us who have it make sure we, you know, bring, bring others along with us. Um, And so it's, 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 it never ends Dr. Francine. uh, But the good news is you hopefully make some amazing friends along the way and you just got to keep, pushing and hopefully we can you know when the money aligns uh and you keep you know girls educated uh because by not having women educated and girls they can fall prey to many more obstacles in life and there's a greater need uh to do this now also with the climate crisis which is you know exacerbating the impacts of covid and making uh girls more likely to become migrants and therefore more vulnerable you know to early child marriage or trafficking and uh there's so much that we need to do even um that happens even here in the united states uh and there's just so much that can be done uh, to make sure that uh, that young people and, and women are protected and investing in that, you know, giving women access to capital and, and training uh, to get equity. Not, you know, maybe, maybe in some cases it's jobs. Maybe it's power over decision making for your own body. There's just there's so much work to be done. But the good news is there's a lot of amazing women uh, doing it. And I'm just happy to be part of it. Thanks for including me. Yeah. And I also, Andrew, just to acknowledge what you said, thank you for sharing that and bringing that global context into it. Um, the, 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 thing, the thing that I've seen that really moves the needle, and of course you know that I'm in the corporate world, but I'm also on the Women's Leadership at Howard Kennedy School, so we're looking at closing the, the, the global gender gap there all the time, all the time, 24-7 almost, um, is that when we have seen, what we've seen move in, you know, so we, we did this study with PwC around what does it take to create sustainable impact using a heat map. And we saw that what was top of the heat map and what was below, what was very top was leadership accountability. And leadership accountability is not a quota game. It's really, are you walking the talk? And we've done in 30 years, we worked on training, creating that awareness of both men and women at senior levels to really um, not only care about this topic, but but get it in a very deep way, in a profound way that there's actually bringing more women and girls, educating girls, makes a big difference in the world and makes a big difference in men's world, I think is super important. And we've been able to prove that uh, to men. And we've seen men not only actively sponsor women, but actually advocating and, and, um, and, and reaching out to their own daughters and their, you know, friends of their daughters, etc., but becoming much more focused on the bigger we of this world versus the back to Bonita's point, which is the individualistic uh, type of mindset, right? So some good stuff is happening, but yeah, we need to create a movement where men join us in this. Yeah. And there is, there are, there is a, you know, positive masculinity movement out there. And of course, in order to bring more women in to the fold and into leadership positions, you know, we're talking about another shift, which is looking at the realities of the, of women's lives, which often, not for all, uh, but can include families. Uh, and, and so therefore, the balance of 
leave and policies that are family friendly, that uh, the cost of childcare, depending on where you live, um, is absolutely critical to this for women who not all women choose to get married and not all women choose to have kids. That is perfectly fine. And we must acknowledge that as well. Uh, but for those who do, we have to look at the reality of uh, supporting uh, families and uh, making that realistic so that women can leave. Yes. And also when we look at women of color, um, you know, they're impacted even greater, you know, and 70 percent of working moms will be the primary income earner in their lives. Right. And we know that certain states, you know, black women, 67 percent of them are single moms. Right. I was a single yes. mom for a long time and a primary income earner for a very long time. Me too. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And yes. I am a single mom, too. It has its challenges, and I see. I mean, this is the thing. And I was talking to—I can't tell you which company, but it's one of the biggest companies in Silicon Valley. Head of global talent, dear friend of mine. She was saying to me, she said, "I'm leaving." And I said, "Why?" She said, "Well, first of all, women are leaving, and working moms are leaving in droves, and including me. I'm leaving this summer." And she said, "I'm uh, and I'm going." And she's like, unbelievable woman. And she said, "I'm going to find a CEO that cares." And then I'll call you and we'll get in there. We'll get it done, right? Because we've been working with other employers that she's worked in the past where we made a big difference. But my point of this is that we have women between 44 to 62% of women are, con- are either leaving or considering leaving their current workplace. That's huge. That's huge, right? Whether they do it or not, it just has an impact. So, yeah. So back to honoring working moms on International Women's Day in all its diversity is super important as well. Yeah. Thanks for being there. To add to this, just to share with you that I think there's also a generational shift where I'm not so sure a lot of the Gen Zers, while we are trying to uplift their opportunities uh, and, um, you know, give them new role models and uh, imaging, uh, see themselves represented in the media so they can dream uh, and and have these aspirations. I'm not sure some of them are uh, wanting that because I think that they are shifting to seeing uh, uh, the need or, or the desire for a, a, a better, more balanced uh, life. Now, I can't really, I'm not necessarily a Gen Z expert, but I am seeing a shift and they have they have a there is a uh, generational difference in values that's coming um where they they want to see companies run differently and uh, and i would say also that uh they the companies that they work for they want to see them manage differently they want to see where their money is being invested any endowments and i would just say that in addition to the ceo who cares barbara we need to add shareholders and the board because there's an overall potential need to shift to a greater well-being centering well-being and flourishing not just for humans but the planet and and how we're going to get there you know i i I know we're trying uh but we still have a long way to go yes and 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 thank you for sharing that i'll just give you um, some results that we did we did a focus groups we did 82 focus groups in 2021 and we asked, what are the challenges you experience today? And this is women's focus groups. And uh, and I, I agree with you that the generation is shifting in terms of value, so they won't put up with certain things. But that includes men too, younger men. But here are the, here are the seven themes that came up, and I'll go through them very, very quickly. One was a desire to have work that has meaning. That was an overall theme. And when we say theme, it means it comes up 80% of the time from the 82 focus groups, right? Um, a lack of emotional connection. Women want an emotional connection to their workplace. They want to feel valued and included, right? Uh, sometimes men, you know, don't particularly have that. And Bonita is not here right now, but I'm sure she'll come back. Uh, is talking about the individualistic type of th- uh, mindset that, you know, a lot of men share and others. Lack of clarity of what the new norms are in the workplace. You know, do I have to go back to work face to face? Um, And concerns about stress and burnout and worry. And we talked about that. And then wanting, not work-life balance, but wanting work-life harmony. 
right? Can I have that harmony? Can I, can I flex that way? Uh, and then this is a big one that's happening also for younger women today. This is post pandemic, of course, if there is such a thing as post pandemic, fear of being invisible and not valued. So they're finding themselves when they're on these Zoom calls and all that, that they have less uh, leadership presence and acknowledgement and they're just kind of sitting in on these listening in. They have a seat at the table, but they're not really being encouraged to engage or engaging at the table. So those are some of the things that we're dealing with today uh, in the workplace. Cheryl, Bonita, you're back. Anything you would like to add to that? Um, yeah, actually, a couple of things. This is such a um, great conversation, by the way. Um, and Andrea, I loved your share. I, I, I will say my son just called me to, to give you the male perspective. He's Gen Z, and he's really been very, very loyal to a company for a good five years, very hard worker, finally got into management, and he finally called me and said, I hate to do it. I don't want to leave, but I'm going to have to start looking for another job. I said, what's going on? And he said, you know, Mom, I worked 12-hour days, two days in a row over the weekend, couldn't eat, couldn't, you know, didn't get any sleep. And I just feel so unseen, so unheard, and so unappreciated. And I thought, wow, this is all the, the, you know, research that we're looking at for women. Um, But the other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, I've been studying Gen Z for the past month or so because I'm going to be doing a TEDx for um, um, USC. And so I've been working with this group of Gen Zers, and I've been studying it, and I'm very encouraged. You know, a lot of people are calling this generation soft, but I don't think they're soft. I think they're very wise. I think they're very courageous. I think they're extraordinarily stressed out right now. But I also believe that they're not going to buy into the hustle culture they are not going to buy into the old ways that we've been doing things. And I also, I'm very encouraged that we're going to see the gender parity happen with this generation because they don't know the difference. They don't see men as being different as women. I, I, I think some of that may carry over and we have to be careful that we're, we're maybe, maybe that's what we need to do, Barbara, is we need to really get in with this generation and teach them so they can be the change, but they are. Or learn from them. Yes, and learn from them and listen to them. And, you know, um, they're they're quite amazing. So back to you. Yeah, it's interesting because um, in my book, I can't remember which of them, but in the chapter I call it the enlightened denial of the younger generation because they will come, they, they will assume that there are no differences, but then they get into relationship and things kind of, go a little bit awry or there's misinterpretation or miscommunication. And that's when they, that creates a bit of an awakening. But I, I love the egalitarian mindset. I love the, I want to be able to make an impact and a difference, which is, you know, their value set. And I see that in my kids and grandchildren as well, big in spades. Right. Um, and that surely, surely will, will shift the world um, as well. Bonita. Yes. I, sorry for the glitch that I wasn't here. I wanted to add that um, in the classes that I teach at Santa Clara University, the graduate students from all over the world, I encourage them. They're, they're very receptive. In fact, I was given this class because the the um, electives that classes that I was holding was uh, the expression was that they ignited the students, and that's why I was given the full. Uh, opportunity to teach as much as I do, but the students, I, I let them know, we know your generation is the generation that's going to make the difference and um, to make sure that they know um, that uh, they have the encouragement to make the difference. And I, they do recognize the differences once they're presented. I agree with you that, that um, Cheryl, that, that there's less of a, a uh, sense of difference, but when they have an opportunity to recognize the difference between what I present, it's individualistic and relational. Uh, and some of them are combinations thereof. And that's great too, to be able to speak about what you bring uh, uh, with your fellow you know, colleagues. Um, 
they're they're very empowered, very and even more confident. And that's one thing that we want to do is give them confidence to make that change. And uh, may I just quickly add to what Bonita said, which is um, a theme that's come up often across the work that I've done on children's rights in the past and working in different contexts in the United States and around the world, which is this uh, instilling in them, despite everything around them, uh, a sense of self-advocacy and making the space to share those tools and skill sets with uh, younger people, even for those who appear to be more confident, the skill of self-advocacy and somehow instilling a sense of equal self-worth, uh, which is done through culture and many other things is incredibly um, important. So the more we can try to pass those tools along within the kind of culturally appropriate uh, or relevant um, settings is is critical piece to this because it's the internal value and self-worth that has to come also in order to help keep pushing uh, for the external um, equality that we're all seeking. You know, it's so interesting. Thank you for that, Andrea. Um, I remember I was invited when Larry Summers, if you remember at Harvard, when he did that blunder on gender differences. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he made that. Uh, what I call crippola assumption, right? So I was invited down to speak, and it was the audience of about 600 uh, people. And and I didn't want to address that particular thing, but I wanted to declare something. And I declared this. I said, can you imagine, no, think about this as academia, right? So I said, can you imagine if we created a world where men spoke for women and women spoke for men and boys and girls? What would What would have to happen? What would have to happen? We'd have to make no assumptions whatsoever. We'd have to stand in each other's shoes. We'd have to have a deep, deep understanding of what's going on. We'd have to value their perspective and include their perspective. And, you know, you could hear a pin drop. Uh, you know, they didn't, they really wanted to just talk about Larry Summers' blunders, right? Uh, but then they started slowly applauding and, and that conversation kind of built and built. Like, that would be an interesting world, right? We're not fighting for ourselves, you know, advocating for ourselves, but we have men who are doing that and honoring that and, and vice versa, right? Um, I think you know, that mindset shift could could happen in the younger generation where Bonita is working on with international students, so. Well, in, in, in my generation, I spoke for men all the time because I was their PR spokesperson. And I was very successful because I think I I took the edges off them by... Uh, presenting them as perhaps more relational than they actually were. And my daughter did the same thing. She was um, guiding the head of International Harvester through a very difficult uh, union meeting at a factory. And because she told him what to say, he was highly successful. So there are a lot of women behind successful men. Yeah, beautiful example, Dr. Francine, because that's what we see right now when men and women partner and collaborate together. It really makes a big impact, and, and men actually feel the difference. I'll give you some examples. So Ken Chenot, who's the CEO of, retired now, but CEO of American Express, when they went through gender intelligence learning, you know, he, began, he, said, he said, you know what, I will – now that I see the richness and the perspective that women bring, every time I'm confronted with a decision, I'm going to ask at least two women. And, uh, and wow, did that make a difference? Like, it really helped me connect the dots on things that I wouldn't typically connect. Now, why is that? There are two, two fu fundamental differences between men and women. One is called convergent thinking versus divergent thinking. So what happens is, and it's not and there's a bell curve here, it's not all men and all women, but men tend to use more convergent thinking in business, right? Let's converge on the problem, look at the pros and cons in a very linear way and come to a final decision and speed, the faster we can do it, the better. Women tend to use divergent thinking, which is back to Sally Krawcheck's example, where she says, wait a minute, if we do that, what impact will it have to our employees, to our clients, et cetera? We simply cannot do that just to impact the bottom line, Right more people-oriented, more divergent. And typically, in a very convergent world, they'll say, what does that have to do with this conversation? 
where it has a lot to do with that conversation. That's where the neuroscience, I'm really appreciating these hardwired differences between men and women, uh, becomes this eye-opener and awakening and shifting in mindset uh, for both genders, and there's equal learning for both. So I just want to add that. I have one last quick comment, but I'm conscious that we have Michelle on the stage, but I, 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 I just... Uh... Well, maybe it's not a last comment, but I just want to take a step back and say that to to get to gender equality, if it's a multifaceted approach, laws and policies have to be there to protect. They need to be enforced. People need to be held accountable. Money. We need the money. <laughs> we need the equity. We need the capital, the investing, the philanthropic capital. There is a dearth of it that is going to organizations that go after women and children. And I think we need some imagination. It's the narrative and the stories that are told. So it's entertainment industry. It's social media. We've seen lots of rooms on this platform. And and it's also, you know, the personal, the homes. It's conscious parenting. I don't have the answers to that for sure, but I'm saying, and it's, it's our own selves and how we relate to other uh, women and uh, other genders and whether we bring them along. And, you know, it's also who has the voice in the mic. Uh, I have a dream. I've dreamed of putting young women uh, in touch with leaders like Michelle Obama and hosting a, a, a show <laughs> where they're passing down the wisdom uh, and they're doing it on television or in the homes of people, but we're Michelle also bringing Obama in the voices of the role. Or does she have burnout? <laughs> and, no, she's doing. She, she she actually is, started. Is she finished. She's not finished. There's no way she's finished. And by the way, if she thinks she's finished, we will tell her she's not finished. But I'm just saying, all of these things need to happen. And I'm also a big believer in passing a mic you know, and uplifting some of those young voices and then and or, you know, handing the mic over to the um, women, listening closely to the people on the ground, on the front lines that are experiencing some of this and taking some of their wisdom into that thinking, like you were saying, uh, Barbara and or Bonita uh, about, you know, it's not just it's that anecdotal data, not just that hard fact financial spreadsheet data um, that gets taken into account. Yeah, thanks, Andrea, for that. Appreciate it very much. And Michelle, anything you want to share? Any questions? Any comments? So many things I want to share. I love the conversation. Thank you for 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 this um, dialogue. It's so important. So, in my home currently, um, I met some Afghan refugees here on Clubhouse, and I wasn't sure how we first met because I do work all over the world. I'm an event planner and I'm part of several organizations that are international. Um, but, and I, so we had been speaking on um, Instagram back and forth, but it was through clubhouse that we initially met and it was a family of event planners from Kabul. And they were the first and only planners in Kabul. When it fell, the family had to move because she was a female business owner and uh, um, there she had, there was there, there was four different reasons, but they're here now. It's a long story, but it's been a journey and it's taken them all this time. And they, they came and I opened my house to them a month ago through 11 countries. And I am deeply aware right now of what is still going on in this world. And so I heard a couple of comments earlier, like, are, is this generation going to be gender equality? And what I think that is really important is that for this young generation, my 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds in my home, um, because of TikTok, because of the awareness that they have and the world seems so much smaller, they are very aware of what's going on internationally, what's happening in Iran right now with the girls that are being gassed in schools. They showed pornography to a high school group last week, trying to drive these girls out of schools and what other ideas are in their head as they're doing these to this young women, that this world is small and there's still so many women. We've kind of forgotten about the women in, in Afghanistan. Many of us in a closed room um, conversation a couple of weeks ago. 
as they're trying to build this coalition for women in the U.S. to to bring awareness to still what is happening to the women in Afghanistan, because we're forgetting this and we are still one, no matter how far we live around this world, but we, we still need to support. And there are so many ways to support these women. There's an, a group that I met called Operation Snow Leopard, and it's a lot of ex-military um, that were in Afghanistan at the time, and they have built an underground railroad where they have women that were judges and that went against the Taliban. And so now they're scared for their lives. Some that were in parliament, one of their women they were tracking about a month and a half ago, and they got them into Canada. They were waiting for a paper. She left her house for one hour. She was killed. So there's just still so much. And Operation Snow Leopard has got, they put 4,000 people on their list to get and evacuate out of Afghanistan since the U.S. left. They've gotten 1,600 out of there, 1,680. And um, anyway, there's just so much we can do. So thank you for this conversation. And I'm deeply, deeply into this. And I haven't forgotten about the women in Afghanistan, Michelle. And I have been thinking, I have been following news about various different attempts to get them back into schooling. And I thought I read the other day that certain grades had been allowed to go back to school. Am I incorrect? No, that's that's correct. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, I'd love to link you to um, uh, Afghanistan professor uh, who is in Harvard Kennedy School. And, and if you go to Women in Public Policy, W-A-A-P-P, Women in Public Policy Program, HKS, they have a ton of research to share around what's happening in, in, in what's happening in terms of the challenges, but also what we can do and, um, and how we can influence. So I'll, I'll get that link to you if you can't find it. Just let me know. Andrea, you probably have it as well. Yes. I, I did want to share, um, Michelle, I wish I had met you like a month ago. I've been working with a friend of mine to get, um, someone, a woman policy maker and her family of, uh, eight or 10 out, um, we they eventually got asylum in Mexico, so we got them out, ironically, via Tehran, Turkey, and then Mexico City. But I would love to connect um, in the back channel uh, to know more because I'm um, going to be bringing her story uh, at first to Clubhouse, and then we'll see wh- where else. But I'd love to connect more and or connect her in- into your group as well. And I'd like a minute to reset the room. Uh, because a lot of other people have come in. This is Karma Club, and we're talking about the meaning of International Women's Day. And it turns out it means a lot of different things to a lot of different women in a lot of different places, which is probably as it should be. And Karma Club is slowly morphing into Karma House on Clubhouse, and its weekly meeting is tomorrow at 11.30 Mountain Time, which is 1.30 Eastern Time and 10.30 Pacific Time. And it's basically an if-you-know-you-know sort of situation with the time zones. But we are going to be discussing mental health issues. We're talking about burnout and how you probably uh, – sorry, breakdown, and how if you have a breakdown – you might end up having a breakthrough. And uh, once again, Barbara's gonna help us through that, although I'm kind of an expert on breakdowns, less of an expert on breakthroughs. Thank you for that, Dr. Francine. Um, I'd love to um, see if there's anybody else that would like to join us on stage. Do we still call it on stage? I don't know, but... um, Payment, do we call that? Yeah, you can call well, the it audience is n- the audience is now called the goo. So oh, okay. And also, it seems to be multicast too. I mean, from call in, you could also call in uh, from other platforms too. You could join in as well. By the way, I'm curious though. Uh, I just learned about this during this conversation. Amazing conversation. I learned about something called the glass cliff. Uh, especially during times of crisis, women tend to be put in leadership positions. And these tend to be glass cliffs for them. 
can uh, did you want to touch on that? Because especially when we're going into this period of very turmoil and so forth, and the discussion about strong women uh, stepping down, is th- is this one of the risks that they're calculating into their decisions? Or yeah, Marissa Mayer was put in. You know, she was given the CEO job at Yahoo when it was in trouble, and nobody else could do it. And then she got blamed for the things that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I don't personally know her, but I, yeah. you know, I I'm, suspect. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that situation. And it happens. Thanks for bringing that up, Heyman. It happens um, very frequently when a company is feeling certain volatility. I mean, it happened with GM, right? Uh, it happened with Mattel, where Mattel hired, uh, promoted a woman CEO years ago and um and uh they still continued not doing well and they let her go and then they blamed her because she was female we tried a woman once why should we try and literally i went in and i don't know if i can share all the detail because i've signed an nda but there was a there was a mindset of saying well we've already tried a woman once kind of thing and i and i would say to both men and women i would say have you ever put the sentence in, we tried a man, male CEO once? Why should we try again? Right. So that's the glass cliff that you're pointing to, Heyman. Yeah. Okay. Heyman, why don't you ask our caller, Jenny, from Jenny Collins Hatch. to speak? Hey, Francine. Thanks for hosting the room. I was like, what's Karma Club on Wednesday? Uh, thanks for joining us, Jenny, from the call inside. I... I just wanted to express uh, my, you know, deep respect for the things I've already heard on the show. And I am someone who, who terms myself an anti-feminist because I believe feminism has largely, especially in America, um, set up the most privileged women to be in a constant state of angst that they don't have more. And I'm talking specifically of young American women who I do think are some of the most privileged women on the planet. And to, to get them aggrieved against their husbands and against society and why don't I have more, I think is just a blight on, on my country. And so I call myself an anti-feminist to kind of push back a little bit on some of the feminist, feminist notions and um, encourage women to kind of think outside of the box, especially American women. And so um, I just wondered what you guys thought of that. I think that's wonderful. And I never, you know, I've lived long enough not to stereotype anyone because the, These words, oh, and also my PhD is in English, so I think very strongly about words. And I've seen so many words get contorted and perverted. And feminism is, believe me, on the top of the list. Well, Dr. Francine, I I was going to say, I think it might be, this is the student and academic in me coming out, uh, maybe also a lawyer, but I was thinking we needed the definition of feminism um, laid out because uh, I I don't believe some of what we've been talking about here, I think has been more about just being equal in the eyes of the law, being uh, equal just because you're a woman, you know, for pay if you're doing the same job at the same level, uh, and or e- having the power to make decisions for yourself about your own body or your, you know, your family or whether or not you want to get married um, even, you know. And so I think I, I, I think we pointed out uh, maybe I'm not sure if you were here. We did share that that, that there is a different vision, um, you know, of maybe centering more well-being and, you know, less crazy, uh, you know, Fortune 10 uh, CEO, you know, aspirations from some of the younger generation. So I think we've, um, I just want to say that for me personally, the aspirations of, I don't know whether you want to call it feminism or equality for all, uh, it, uh, differ slightly than just simply wanting to chase or break a glass ceiling. It's just about being equal and being recognized as such. I mean, that was the main reason why 25 years ago I shifted the conversation from gender equality to gender intelligence because when it comes to gender equality you're fighting for something right and when you fight you create opposition creates opposition versus standing for something standing for the possibility of men and women working and winning together 
in this world of ours uh, has a, a less of a, a a past kind of blame thing to it and more future oriented standing for something as a possibility um, like a breakthrough versus a breakdown not that we don't honor that but I think to be future oriented and be inclusive and that's why I've always called myself a humanist and I know when I've been on stages with Gloria Steinem she kind of frowns at me when I'm being asked if I'm a feminist and I say no I'm a humanist I'm, I stand for both men and women um, and, and by the way I just wanted to announce I don't know if you know but there is an international men's day I don't know if anybody is aware of that which is on November 19th uh, which is really about honor, honoring honorable men uh, which I don't think gets a lot of exposure so I just wanted to include that but I, I would love to hear Bonita I know you're on mic if there's anything you want to add and then Guta of course and Jennifer and Jennifer, that's right, and then we'll wrap it up. Mine will take too much time. I'll pass. Go ahead. Okay, Guda, welcome. Jennifer, I want Gen- to hear what Jennifer, you have Jennifer, how about you? Say. Oh, thank you. No, I appreciate that. I heard you all mentioning burnout a couple of times on stage, and I just wanted to come up and contribute to those thoughts uh, because I primarily work with female business owners and, um, you know, watched very closely, as Barbara knows, throughout the pandemic, um, how the workforce treated women. And, you know, whatever the optimist half glass, you know, glass half full kind of person was hoping that, um, you know, we'd see some more permanent changes for women, you know, that our workforce would become a little more flexible for women, that um, the contributions that women make were, are uh, more appreciated, so to speak. Um, I know there's some appreciation out there, but I, th- I think that the appreciation can also be shown in creating work environments and creating work cultures that are more amenable to the expectations and responsibilities that women have to take on both personally and professionally. And a lot of those things are what have led to women, about half the women right now, I would say actually more than that, um, because the data is a little bit old, but um, are experiencing burnout, if not significant stress. And uh, 30% of women uh, that were, uh, that have been um, interviewed in, different studies have cited mental health issues um, as not only as a result of, you know, the the different types of work or the harder work that they had to do or um, trying, you know, having to balance both family and work, uh, but they cited that um, that was a big contributor to their mental health. And they're, you know, 75, almost 80% of working women identify as the primary caretaker of their children. So I just, you know, there's certain statistics that are out there, certain facts that are out there um, that don't make it quite the big shock that women burn out. And women are twice as likely now to burn out as men. So just some interesting thoughts for me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for that, Jennifer. Please join us next, actually, if you can, tomorrow, because we're actually going to talk about mental health and breakdown and so on. Uh, what at time one, tomorrow? Absolutely. One thirty Eastern. Barbara, I will add one thing quickly. Yep, we'll was, uh, Susan Faludi, I believe it was, who said that feminism comes with a line item veto. And I really like that, um, that uh, every woman can express and create their own feminism. And I like to think in terms of feminism as, as something that's holistic, that uh, will create a world where every... Every child, woman, and man has the opportunity to lead a healthy and productive life in harmony with nature. Uh, so, and, and I, I include all, all people instead of saying child, woman, and man. But uh, that holistic way of uh, bringing values-based decision-making to uh, our world, I think, is very important. So that's the, the light I shine on feminism. Yeah, thank you. A very inclusive of all genders and all diversity, race, culture, ethnicity, etc. Thanks for that. I know Andrea we're has a, Andrea has a question for you. A closing oh, okay. question for Barbara. 
Okay, Very thanks, Andrea. Yeah, go ahead. Barbara, in all of your work in the private sector, um, could you share, uh, um, could you shine a light on, you know, what an opportunity this is and could be and continue to be for the private sector at, uh, to kind of advance uh, whether women's equality or, you know, a, a better way uh, in the face of, um, you know, maybe say a, clo- a slowdown in Congress, for example, in the United States. Uh, I'm, I know there are matriarchal societies and places in southern India, um, <laughs> but... Oh, I'm terribly sorry about that. Um, But I just wanted to know where you think the bright spots are in the private sector when government is maybe a bit slow. And New York is having some kind of alarm. Barbara, you're muted. I'm saying all these great things being muted. Sorry about that. Andrea, thank you for the question. I know we're out of time. I'll be really brief. But, you know, one of the things that the business case of it is so indisputable, it's ridiculously indisputable. And I can send you some things on that, or you can watch my TED Talk or go to genderintelligenceshow.com, which is my podcast. But the impact it has on the bottom line, but, but more importantly than that, because money doesn't drive me, by any means, I mean, I'm, I'm well off and I do, I'm doing well, uh, but to be able to make a difference in really impacting the mindset of men and women and boys and girls in creating more of an inclusive workforce, you know, where everybody's valued and included for what they bring, their difference thinking that they bring, that was, that's what gets me up in the morning. And I do it for my sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters uh, and so many other people, but the social benefits and really to accelerate inclusive cultures. But what wakes companies up, Andrea, is this. Number one is they, they will either ask something like the board or the CEO say, wait a minute, why have we made progress? I mean, God, come on, people. You know, we've been at this for 30 years, 40 years, whatever, and we haven't made progress. So that's one. Second is why are women leaving? And they assume, make some false assumption as to why. And they find that it's costing them the turnover rate, and Deloitte is a perfect case study of that, was $190 million of turnover rate in the U.S. and $40 million in Canada. And they were recruiting 55 to 62% women accountants, but they were leaving three to five years. And the number one reason they were leaving, and I'll leave you with this, wasn't, particu- wasn't work-life balance, although that's a biggie, right? It was they didn't feel valued. They didn't feel valued for their, what they brought to the table in terms of their own authentic self. Right. And that has shifted for Deloitte and has shifted for many other companies. So there's some really good stuff there. And I can send you a CEO thought piece, if you'd like, Andrea, that will address some of that uh, even you. more so. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Now, over to Dr. Francine. This is your room or your club. And uh, we're honored to be part of it. No, so. it's our club. I love it that. Ours. Our club and our room. And I am... I was inclusive before inclusivity was cool. And I feel bad because I saw Dr. Keisha come in for a minute and I invited her up to speak, but she didn't get a chance to speak because I do think that we haven't had um, enough emphasis on the role that the incredible role that black women have uh, played in push, put, putting our country forward and pushing on the women's claims for gender equality. And I I should have asked her in advance to come up, and I didn't, and I'm bummed that I miss hearing from her. But anyway, I think I, 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 I Just to add, Dr. Francine, I also tried, and also Dr. Roshanak was here too and tried, but they were multitasking different things. Oh. I do want okay. to say one thing. Imagine if we just shifted the mindset of the old, quote, great minds think alike to great minds think unalike. And that's the shift that I see in the companies who have really been able to make a difference, Andrea. So I just wanted to add that. Thanks. And I I, I think my closing thought is our our whole world and our societies are only as good as the opportunities and the protection for um, some of the most vulnerable people in it. 
Absolutely. Bonita, you're on mic. Last thoughts. You're good. Well, last thoughts are also, in my mind, uh, this world of technology that we have, um, being able to participate in some of the events going on now where the bringing values to even the technology, rather than saying it's a, it's a technical problem, we need to be able to bring values into um, and uh, a concern for the world. Um, into decision-making and, and what we're designing. And I just wanted to add that because I, I think it's a great example of the difference of just solve the problem and look at the bigger picture being the fire preventer. Thank you for that. Dr. Francine. All right, kids, until tomorrow um, when we are going to talk about burnout and, and breakdown and breakthrough, and in general, mental health issues, which we can't have enough of a conversation on at this point in society. Um, actually, I'm very optimistic today. Last night, Andrea and I were in a room, and um, I was so pessimistic, but I've turned it around. So perhaps tomorrow will be an optimistic day. In the meantime, thank you all for coming.